electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of stocks with a new lockdown in Europe and some now calling for a near-term sell-off here. Are those fears overblown? or reason to be cautious. We debate that and your money's next move with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Rob Seach and Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, is back. Pete Najarian is here, too. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's take a look at the markets today. NASDAQ sets a new record high. Lockdown's weighing on the markets a bit. The Dow's down 185. S&P is flat. Uh, for the most part, it's up four points. There's a Russell down one half of 1%, too. Yields on the 10-year note, 153. So yields are down today. Oil is down today. Pete, Kramer says it's overdone. Um, when you talk about, you know, what's happening in the market today relative to that lockdown over in, in Europe, um, are we, we going to have a sell-off like some are now calling for, Pete? Are, are you concerned about that? I'm not necessarily concerned, Scott, but I would say that when you look at the markets and the move that we have made over time, and we're near those record highs in terms of certain indices so far, but I got to tell you, we're so close to those that if we pulled back, it wouldn't be shocking by any stretch of the imagination. That being said, I continue to like what we're seeing out of the NASDAQ specifically in terms of we've watched for the last couple of days, actually this most of this week, where the Dow for just a couple of different stocks pulling on the Dow significantly to the downside, and yet the NASDAQ's been basically pushing to the upside. So I like what we're seeing there as far as the setup, because I think a lot of the NASDAQ stocks that we were talking about for a really long time, this rotation and this strength that we are seeing. How about these chips? The semiconductors absolutely have been exploding to the upside over the last week or so. And, you know, I know we talk about NVIDIA and some of the big names, but there's been all kinds of participation there as well. So I think that we are looking at a very interesting spot for the markets. And we see that volatility starting to creep back up again. But it can't hold very long, Scott. We were up in the mid-18s earlier today. We're already back down toward the mid-17s as we get into the weekend, get a little closer to the weekend. So I don't know that I'm seeing a lot of folks out there fretting over this with the volatility index trading 17 and a half. All right. Kevin O'Leary, what do you think? Um, you know, Kramer says, as I said, it, it's overdone. I've got Tom Lee, though, a fund strat who's about as bullish as you'll ever find. And he's been right all the way. And now his technical strategist at Fundstrat is saying we may top this week and have a near term pullback. It's going to be bought. And my year end everything rally is intact. But at least in the very short term, you could get a pullback. Do you see it that way, too? I see volatility. I don't see a pullback. There's just too much liquidity in this system. And even this bad news out of Germany and other European countries, um, I think, is temporary as they get more therapeutics and more people inoculated. You know, the, the backdrop is very constructive. I mean, I'm not as bullish as Tom is. I mean, I think he's uh, calling for 20 percent more next year. Uh, on the indexes alone, which I think is, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of his. I read all his stuff. 
but I'm sort of more in the 9, 10, 11 range, which is still spectacular. But it's for primary reasons. I mean, think about we've got 500 billion new money in the infrastructure bill that probably starts to hit the market by Q2. So that's a lot of liquidity. You don't know where we're getting on the inflation bill. I don't know if that's going to make it or not. But if they get any part of that done, that's that's more money than we need. There's no question that will spike inflation. That's other problems. But it still favors equities. It's really hard to see, Judge, how we're going to get a major correction with this much free money sloshing through the system. Hey, maybe I not just major. don't see it, so I stay the course. Maybe not I major. Maybe not major. And again, as even Tom Lee says, if you do get a pullback, it's going to be scooped up because where else you can put your money, number one. Number two, as you said, all the liquidity in the system. So, you know, maybe this is the week that starts that. You do have some COVID-related uncertainty, uh, Kev. And he also, by the way, mentions what's going on with the uncertainty around the Fed chair. Is it going to be Powell? Is it going to be Brainerd? I think the market wants to know sooner rather than later, right? Yeah, I agree on that. But I think Powell probably gets the nod at the end of the day. It's been a bit of a scare, but he's the right guy to finish off this you know, I'd like to have the same person's policy that started the pandemic and the pandemic. That's just me. And I think, you know, even though he's in the wrong party, I think there's a good chance that Biden sticks with him. You know, I want to point something out about tech. And, and every time it sells off, people say, oh, it's over. It's, people are going to get out of these high P names. They're never getting out of tech. Tech is driving the entire global economy. Semis is showing you that right now. Supply chain issues can be solved with tech. You got to stay long tech 20% where you want to do it. You know, for me, it's an internet giants. I like that because I love e-commerce. And you look at Foot Locker's numbers, that's telling you that Nike has moved past 50% direct to consumer. What let them do that? Technology. I think tech is your investment theme right through next year. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, Seach. I mean, no, nobody, to use Kevin's words, nobody's getting out of tech with a 10 year at 153. The only scenario which we saw the entire time of, of, you know, forced uh, sell or, um, you know, reorganizing the portfolio is if rates started to rise. OK, maybe growth stocks like tech aren't going to do as well. But I just said we started the show. Nasdaq hits another record high. Why? Because the 10 year is not moving. And even when it does show signs of moving, it falls right back for a variety of reasons, which we just discussed at the top of the program, too. So it's not just because of rates, Scott, though. It's because these quality tech companies are the new defense. Oh, no, for sure. Look, for sure. But you know what I mean. You, you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I do. So if you look at what's happening in Europe, I mean, markets are paying attention to these COVID stats, right? Interest rates are down. Oil's down. Dollar's strong. NASDAQ's on top again. Value and cyclicals are taking a back seat. Um, you know, we would agree with Tom. It's a temporary setback. How much markets pay attention to this? It, it, it's really dependent on how it plays out, right? The more, more it plays out negatively, the more markets are going to pay attention and the value cyclicals will continue to take a back seat. But that said, the economy is incredibly strong and there's a lot of tailwinds out there. You know, housing starts were lower than expected, but new building permits were up. That indicates strong underlying demand. If you look at inventory to sales, inventories need to be re rebuilt. Supply chain uh, constraints easing, that's gonna increase growth. And I know, by the way, this country has underinvested in CapEx for 10 years. 
And, you know, you look at firms like Goldman and you just look at the data. They're saying there's going to be 60 trillion in CapEx globally next year. What do you think that does for the economy? Well, it's an incredible tailwind. So if we get something that I uh, that I would say is a, a bit of a COVID shock to the system, which I think is highly unlikely, by the way, that, it, it, that, that it's uh, it's too significant, it's a dip to buy. The other thing that I would say that markets are not paying enough attention to is, and I I don't think it's a high probability outcome, which is why we're not as focused on it. But if if Leo Brainerd gets in, everybody's saying, why is that bad? She's more dovish. Let me tell you why that's not a good outcome. Because at the end of the day, we're delaying what's inevitable. There is inflation. The Fed has told you, not in precise words, but they're changing policy there behind the curve. She is going to revert that policy and, and push back the, uh, the hiking of rates. And therefore, she's going to have to slam on the brakes very, very hard when that happens. And you risk a car crash. I, I, I would rather be practical and stick with who brought us to the dance, as Kevin said, because, you know, some of these other uh, other things create uncertainty that create unintended long term risk to what is a very positive economic trajectory. So, you know, Kevin O'Leary, you got Ackman yesterday speaking. I think it was up in Boston. He said we, we got a classic bubble of, of, you know, when you look at the markets uh, fueled by the Fed to part of Rob Seachin's point. You got Chamath Palihapitiya today who on Twitter says he talks about markets having been at a tear. He's been worried about inflation, which he told me in our delivering alpha conversation a couple of months back. So it's not a new uh, thought from him. But he also looks around and says, look, two um, entrepreneurs that I've considered the smartest in the room, Bezos and Musk, are taking some of their chips off the table. Right. They've been selling a little bit. So maybe it's time for us to do the same. What do you think? Well, I think those are two different uh, use cases. In the case of Bezos, uh, he is funding, and he's basically left his managerial role at the company he founded. Well, it's not Amazon. about them. He wants to go to space. Right? It's not about them. It's yeah. about the, the environment. Let's say for, everybody's no, going to have their I, own I, specialized I instance. But if, 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 if he uses that and says, look, I think the markets are too frothy. The Fed has blown up this big bubble, which is you know what Ackman's been saying, too. Um, you just look at that and say, Okay, maybe they're right. For whatever reason they are selling, maybe the fact that they are in in any way, shape or form at these levels is a sign that we all need to reassess our portfolios here because it's just getting a little bit out of hand. I don't agree with that. We're all, whether we're individual investors or fiduciaries running funds or acting on behalf of others that are looking for some kind of return to beat inflation, which is well over 2% now. If you sell now, not only do you trigger a capital gain, you also go to cash. Now, unless you have a new idea that's better, because cash is actually losing you money now. We're in a very perverse situation. I faced this recently when I was selling off commercial real estate, where to go with cash. And so if you sit there in cash and make 21 basis points, you're basically losing 3% of buying value in 12 months. And so we're in a very difficult situation. You have to show me something better than equities. And I can't find a single thing. Because companies now, good ones, are being able to take inflation, reprice their products and services, add to those costs. That's why we have inflation and protect your value as an equity shoulder. And in some cases, pay you back a distribution. Maybe it just means, Pete, that in the form of a dividend. 
Kevin, you're, you're, we got to fix your, your, your feed, Kevin. I don't know if you can hear me or, or not, but we're having a little bit of trouble with either the feed or your audio or a combination of both because you keep dropping out and coming back. So let, let's see if we can work on that. And in the meantime, I'm going to go uh, to Pete. Part of the point mm-hmm. here, Pete, is that you better be smart about where you're allocating your money. OK, even if you yeah. if you yep. don't think there's going to be a pullback of any scale, you better be somewhat selective. And I say that and I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. You're talking to the guy who just bought more Rivian stock. So maybe you were going there, man. I knew you were going there. But the segue it's a natural segue. It's perfect. I mean, yeah, some people say EVs are the poster of froth in the market. And that stock right mm-hmm. there is on the front page of it. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, for, sure. you bought on the IPO and now you're buying in the open market on, on what's been a pullback, but the valuation is still massive. Yeah. And I'm not looking at it from the standpoint of valuation. It's just like Tesla years ago. Well, we didn't look not. at that as, okay. Well, you know what? It, but think about it. I mean, I'm, I'm not even joking here about Tesla. Years ago, not too many years ago, actually, people were very critical about Tesla. Oh, this is overpriced, this, that, and the other. And now all of a sudden, people have suddenly started to embrace what Tesla has created here. And I don't know that Rivian's necessarily the next Tesla, but I do look at this as a very quality company that has great backing. And that's what I like so much about this, Scott. If they didn't have Amazon in their back pocket with about a 20% investment, if they didn't have Ford, and I think Ford's going to hold on to it. I still believe that. We'll see. Uh, but, but I think the reality is you've got two monsters holding on to a pretty significant amount of this stock right now. And because of that, I think that's my backstop. I, I look at that and I say, well, at what point in time is Ford going to exit? They might. And if they do, I'll have to reconsider things. But I continue to watch after Amazon. And I have already talked about this before. But not only do they have this, this great stake, but these guys are actually probably one of the biggest and, and, and boldest buyers out there of these vehicles once they're out there. So I think that there's a lot to be said for that. I don't think Tesla had that kind of numbers in front of it that early, like we're seeing right now from Rivian. So, yes, I did buy more stock. I added to my stock position and I'm selling very expensive calls against that that are out of the money calls because right now you're still getting ungodly premiums there scott you're looking at basically an implied volatility of call it very close to 200 which just to give you a little perspective last i looked at tesla i think it was trading somewhere between 50 and 70 on the implied volatility so that gives you a little bit of an idea of where rivian's trading right now in terms of how high that implied volatility is. So you can get incredible sums against that if I own the stock and sell those calls. That's exactly what I'm doing. I like this right now. As a matter of fact, I might even end up buying a little bit more because that's what I believe in as far as the backstop. I'm not looking at Rivian from the standpoint of the, 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 when you look at the fundamentals right now, I don't think you can do that with Rivian. But if you look a little ahead and you look at who's backing them, I think this is a company that's got a lot of upside. I got to say, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, uh, Rob Seachin. I've got, I've got <laughs> Tesla at $1.1 trillion market cap as I look at my fact set as we speak. I see it topping $1,100 a share. And then I look down mm-hmm. on my notes and it says Rob Seachin bought Tesla. At $1,100, now's the time to buy Tesla? What's the matter with you? And, and I know I know that blows you away because I got blown to smithereens on your show when I mentioned that it was a golf cart uh, the last time I was on. But here I am buying it. I, I'm in this business to make, make money, Scott. This is, uh, this is different than what we typically buy. 
Um, obviously, the price was frothy. It's off 10% from his highs. But when you look at the company, the margins continue to expand. The battery costs are coming down. Their opportunity is in batteries, AI, and software. Um, there's no doubt they're defining the next generation of automobiles. Um, it's an engineering first leadership team. And, 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 you know, this is going in a very specific portfolio of ours. It's our top 10 best ideas portfolios for a short period of time that we run in partnership with Fundstrat and uh, Tom Lee, one of everybody's favorite guys. And, you know, he's uh, he's managed to convince me while I might not buy the car, I should buy the stock. And I think it makes a lot of sense here being off from its size. So it could be a short term rental for us. But uh, we're definitely going to own it for a little bit and think we're going to make some money on it. They tell me you're back, Kevin O'Leary, which I'm, I'm happy to report to everybody. So <laughs> as you look at EV valuations and you see what Rivian is doing, and yet Pete buys it, and then you see what Tesla's doing, and then Siege buys it, what do you make of that? <laughs> you know, the, it, it's a classic case where the incumbent, the traditional automotive companies, of which the only one I do own outside, you know, outside of EV is is Ford, because I like what they're doing on the Lightning, and, and I, the demand is crazy. But th there used to be a thought in the market, and it's reflected market cap, that those incumbents would eventually catch up to Tesla, and they would catch up to new entrants that come into the market and overtake them. That train of thought has is no longer there. People are starting to make bets. In, in, in pricing, you know, Tesla specifically, the granddaddy of them all, that they are the new incumbent, that there's not going to be a Volkswagen catching up to them or a Ford or a General Motor. They will be the leaders for some extended period of time, a long time in EV. And as a result of that, in history, you go back and if you remember, you know, decades ago when we were all talking about Amazon the same way, saying what a ridiculous price this is. <laughs> you've you've witnessed even back in those crazy prices, you know, one of the best returns in the history of the stock market. Same thing is happening, I believe, to Tesla. They nobody can catch up to them, not on battery, not on engineering teams, not on you know automotive driving. Nobody can catch up to them. And I think that tonality has just come into the market in the last six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. It's over, kids. Tesla's mm -hmm. the winner. Well, Pete didn't want Lucid to feel bad with all this Rivian and Tesla talk, so he, he bought more Lucid calls, too. And that's because of activity that you saw. Mm -hmm. Be quick on that, Pete, if you don't mind, because I want to bounce after that. Yeah, I'll just give it to you real quick. So 13,000 of the November 26th, so next week's expiring 48 calls were bought today. Just adding to this, this stock that's already been on an absolute rip-roaring tear to the upside. But, Scott, the interesting part about it, the stock was trading 49 at the time. The stock immediately jumped on this. I think this is one of those names that someday will be very, very competitive with somebody like a Tesla. But we'll see. I know what Kevin's talking about. It makes some sense. But I think the others will steadily catch up. They might not get all the way up there, but I think they're not as far behind as people think right now. All right, let's bring in Brian Belsky now. He is our headliner today, BMO's chief investment strategist. Mr. Belsky, welcome back. It's good to have you on this Friday. Thanks for having us, Judge. We really appreciate it. Uh, so, so we have this conversation of let's play off the EVs for a second. And let's play off Chamath and Ackman and these guys and even Funstrat, right? Your bullish buddy is, is saying, well, we could have a, a pullback. We're too frothy. Great question. Um, you know, I began my career working with William O'Neill out in Investors Business Daily. And the very first technical analysis joke 
that I learned was if you don't like the way the chart looks, turn it upside down. And I think uh, Tom's doing a great job supporting his technical strategist. I've just been of the belief that we can't be too cute, and I think it's preposterous to try to make two-week calls. I think the holding period of stock analysis is what you need to, to look at. With respect to Mr. Ackman, he's been underperforming for several years, and he's got his own agenda. With respect to the SPAC crew, they've been underperforming. And I think this notion of trying to make the big market call, I think it's dangerous. You know, We just published our 24th forecast on the S&P 500 and our 10th consecutive forecast on the S&P uh, 500 and the TSX uh, at BMO. And I say that with much humility. Uh, because when you take a look at the perspective that it takes to put these reports together and listening to my awesome team that helps me put together a 58-page report, we do a tremendous amount of work. And my, my career spans a lot of perspective. And I fear that a lot of people are just talking their book and, and, and feeding more to the rhetoric and fear. And if you, if you take two steps back, Scott, and you take a look at the environment with respect to low interest rates on a historical basis, double-digit earnings growth, 20 or 21 times earnings with respect to PEs, you want to own stocks, period. Our theme for 2022 is prepare for the second derivative. So you can't call me Pollyanna all the time. I think the That's return true. structure of stocks are going to be less than they were last year, and I think that makes sense. But remember, we raised our target twice in 2021, and I rarely do that. And the conviction that we have with respect to the fundamental aspects of stocks, especially in the U.S., and oh, by the way, Kevin, Canada's coming along for the ride as well, my Canadian brother O'Leary. But I, I think North America is going to continue to lead because of the strong trends of growth at a reasonable price, dividend growth, and high quality. I think that's going to continue to lead the way. So just to clean up something, um, just so we're not taking pot shots at, at people. I mean, Ackman's been outperforming the last few years after a period of underperformance. I just want to throw that out there. And he raises a point that others have raised too, which just adds to the conversation of the time as to whether we are, in fact, in a classic bubble inflated by, Brian, the Fed. I mean, the Fed's inflated the thing, right? They've been pumping it up with really no abatement at all. And eventually there is going to be some sort of pullback, whether it's taper or they're forced to raise rates before we originally thought that. Don't you think that's going to have an impact? Well, take another look at some of those performance numbers, number one. Number two, in terms of, of, of the market in general, in terms of being a bubble, 90% of the stocks in the S&P 500 in 2021 incurred a, a correction more than 10%. In, in all 11 sectors were down at one point more than 8%. I think too many people make index calls versus stock calls. The market is a market of stocks, and clearly names like Tesla or areas like Bitcoin or the meme stocks or Rivian, those are bubbles. Uh, we, those are names that we don't invest in in our nine portfolios and our $7 billion that we invest for clients. Those aren't names that we're going we're gonna to chase. I love those names, by the way, because with so much focus on that, I think people kind of forget how great the, the overall stock market is. So we like those types of stories out there to scare everybody, to kind of bring back people to bare bones, fundamental investing, which what we do. But you don't think that next year is going to be as, as good, if not maybe not anywhere near this? With well, all of that said, you don't. No, I mean, I mean, listen, uh, I'm a common sense kid from Wilmer, Minnesota. I've been doing this for a long time. And there is oh, a precedent. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, I, uh, I've been doing this for a long time. And four consecutive years of double digit performance in the S&P is not unprecedented. I'm positioned to under promise and over deliver. I think Tom Lee's right. My good friend Tom Lee's right. I think we're going to probably take out 4,800. 
uh, by year end because we're going to have a buying exhaustion of the upside with all these bears out there trying to scare everybody. But next year, I think, is going to still be a positive year. And I think the volatility around the world, quite frankly, is going to drive assets back to the U.S. and Canada. And I think that's what gets us to 5300 on the S&P and $245 earnings and 24000 on the TSX and $1,500 of earnings here. We may learn by the end of the weekend who the next Fed chair is going to be. If it's going to be Jay Powell, it's going to continue, or it's going to be Brainerd. Does it matter? I don't think it matters, Scott, and thanks for bringing that up. I think, again, let's take two steps back. Uh, Ms. Yellen uh, and Mr. Paul worked together for a while, and the seamless handoff was great. And remember, Ms. Yellen is the Treasury Secretary. And Mr. Powell uh, changed, the, changed the really format and conjecture on the Fed in August of 2020 when they changed uh, the mandate from inflation to employment. And what do you hear Ms. Yellen talk about? The majority of time, aside from the inflation fears, which are clearly just on a short-term basis, employment, employment, employment. So they're on the same page. I, f I would find it very surprising, quite frankly, and it's just my personal opinion, uh, that Paul gets kicked out. Uh, I think he'll continue, and I think that just brings a condition, a conditional, I'm sorry, uh, additional, I'm sorry, stability with respect to what's going on with the Fed. Oh, by the way, that's still pumping in money. Conditional, additional. All right, I, I got you there. You have a good Thanksgiving in Wilmer or wherever else you celebrate it this year. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. We'll catch you on the other side of that. That's Brian Belsky joining us. Let's talk about a couple of moves uh, that we have to still let everybody know about before we take our first break. Uh, Rob Seachin, you bought United Rentals and Raytheon. Tell me why and be a little brief on both, if you might. Uh, United Rentals, again, in that opportunistic portfolio play on the infrastructure bill. It's a picks and shovels play. Um, you know, we'd rather own uh, the, the, the picks and shovels as, uh, as the program starts to roll out. So I think that's a great place to be on Raytheon. Raytheon it's a beneficiary of defense spending amidst the U.S.-China tensions. In addition, um, with the merger with UTX, provides an additional tailwind as UTX makes many components in, in, in the, the airplanes, and we should see increased demand as travel continues to pick up. Okay. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, you bought MasterCard. Yep. The, uh, th this narrative that the credit card companies are going out of business and going to be disrupted by fintech is uh, just ridiculous. I don't agree with it. The 5% correction. The stock hasn't done anything all year. It's only up 3%. But the innovation is really interesting. I bought it because of this, a new card they've put out called Built. Now, Built is the company put it out, but they use the MasterCard platform. It's the first credit card in history in the United States that lets you pay your rent with a credit card. So all those millennials, 88 million of them, can now get their credit scores moved up with this thing. So I bought into this. And then I bought in a MasterCard, which is the platform. So they're innovating in a new way. And I think they're going to be the beneficiary of a lot of these new kinds of ideas. You're still a black card guy. I know you. You have to. I know <laughs> you. I know how you roll. This is for millennials. This is millennials, Scott, for millennials. I'm a millennial now. All right. Look, Kevin O'Leary, millennial, right there on the bottom. Yeah, there you go. Okay. You that's, don't look like a millennial, cool. Kevin. I'm sorry. All right, we're going to take a quick, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> Excuse me. When we come back, crypto's getting crushed. Bitcoin and Ether on pace for their worst week in about two months. We've got ownership on the desk. Should you buy the drop? Look out below. We'll discuss next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. 
That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Kamala Harris made history today. President Biden traveled from the White House this morning to Walter Reed for routine exams, including a colonoscopy. While Biden was under anesthesia, his presidential powers were temporarily transferred to Vice President Harris under a provision of the 25th Amendment. That made her the first woman to be acting president. Biden did resume his duties about an hour ago. Democrats are celebrating this morning's passage of Biden's Build Back Better bill in a near party line vote of 220 to 213. Speaker Nancy Pelosi says that the hardest part was getting her party united for the House vote, and she's confident the far reaching legislation will win Senate approval. This bill is monumental. It's historic, it's transformative, it's bigger than anything we've ever done. And apparently they were also talking about politics on a live TV show in the former Soviet Republic of Georgia when a cat apparently wanted to join in on the conversation. You see the host there joking that the cat needed to get down from the desk as he complained that the political situation in Georgia is also going downhill. And tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, the ongoing and apparently very frustrating search for two zebras that are still on the loose in Maryland. Scott, they have been on the loose since August. Apparently, anytime somebody tries to catch up to them, they just outrun them. In Maryland? In Maryland. Tell my parents to look out. Mm-hmm. All right, Rahel, thank you. <laughs> Rahel Solomon. All right, it's been a tough stretch for cryptos. Bitcoin and Ether both having their worst week since late September and falling nearly 10%. We do have ownership, Kevin. You bought Solana and you bought more Bitcoin. You already own Ether. Um, What do we make of this? Is this just where risk sentiment currently sits for this particular week? I'm taking a new position on all crypto. The way I'm looking at it now is, um, you know, everybody knows Bitcoin, obviously, but these teams, these development teams like Solana or HBAR or Polygon are developing productivity software. And Companies like Boeing and Ernst & Young are starting to develop these proprietary chains with centralized and decentralized ledgers for themselves. If you're willing to buy Google, if you're willing to buy Microsoft, if you're willing to buy Oracle, you're buying software companies. There's no difference in buying Bitcoin 
then Microsoft is my argument. It's a software. Ethereum is a software. By the way, people should take note. A lot of people don't know this when sitting around the, the dining table Thanksgiving. In the last 12 months, $3 trillion worth of economic transactions have happened on Ethereum. That's a lot of capital. And it's happening every second. Now, Ethereum's a little slow for financial services, I think. So I'm taking some bets on other platforms, but it's all software development. That's what this crypto thing's about. Now, maybe you want to trade Bitcoin. I don't do that. I buy these positions. I hold them for the long term. And I'm leaving tonight to go to Abu Dhabi, to access Abu Dhabi, because all of these leaders and these development teams are going to be there. I'm going to spend eight days talking to all of them. This is going to be one of the largest gatherings of crypto ever in the world. I got to be there. Wow. Okay. Uh, Pete, no crypto for you or just do I not have it on my sheet? Um, I, I have some exposure, Scott, but, uh, but n n nothing to the extent of what we're looking at with, when Kevin's talking about some of these various names. I'm in specific names and transactional names, but, uh, but, but they're not publicly traded. Oh, I got you. Okay. Okay. Let's move to our call of the day now. It's Robinhood, and it is hitting a new 52-week low today, trading well below its IPO price of $38 a share. Deutsche Bank out with a note today making a short-term sell call on the stock. They're talking about growth and profitability headwinds. Kevin O'Leary, look, I, I know you own it, and I'm told you bought more last week, uh, but they raised some significant issues that I want you to respond to. They say the, the meme stock phenomenon um, – has likely resulted in overestimation of the company's core fundamentals and growth trajectory. That, that's number one. Number two, we believe the security breach the company announced earlier in November may drive customer attrition. And then there, there's the other issue I discussed with you last time when you, when you told us about this, is that, you know, there's, sometimes this, this company acts like they're not ready for prime time. Well, I certainly never said that. I know no, I said that. Had another... No, I said yeah, that. I can... Get it. Uh, let me let me address each of these things. Um, security breaches. Pretty well every S&P 500 company has had a security breach in the last decade. And there's no different with Robinhood. They get breached, they fix it, they move on just like every other company. So I'm going to just ignore that. That's ridiculous to say that it's unique to Robinhood. Number two, meme stocks are not the majority of what's traded on Robinhood. People are now using it to buy all stocks. And they've done it in a way where they've been able to capture 22 million new accounts. Every online broker would love to have those 22 million because those people, maybe they start with $2,000, but as they keep adding to their accounts over time, they get up to a quarter of a million eventually. That's what investing is all about long term. Now, I know, Scott, that everybody hates this name. And if my view, okay, and particularly piling on with research like this saying sell, 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 sell today, sell tomorrow. Only short term. Sell, sell. Only short yeah, term. Yeah. It's a you know, it's a catalyst call. It's not a you know a long term negative. They're just like you know, look, um, the the meme stock probably led to a lot of the the meme stock stuff led to a lot of the recent customer growth, and it probably led most people to overstate the trajectory of of growth as a result. Maybe that slows, and maybe that has a negative impact on on the use on users. And, and it might in the short term, and I can't disagree with, you know, if, if memes fall out of bed, which they haven't done yet, there's still always a new meme showing up somewhere. But my point is this, when there's blood in the streets, when everybody you know, including the neighbor's dog is barking to sell this stock, is an opportunity. That's the way I look at it. Now, look, I can't time the bottom. I've been adding to my position as this thing is being cratered. But I just know at the end of the day, 20 plus million accounts and having a, a really 
focused on a whole new generation of investors is a really unique position. No one else was able to do it. So look, I may be wrong. Some Once in a while, I'm wrong. Not often. But maybe this time, I don't think so. <laughs> Let's just wait and see 90 days from now, year in, where we're at. Thanks for clarifying how often you are right, I guess, <laughs> is, is at the end of the day what you are trying to say. There's All a right. reason they call me Mr. Wonderful, Scott. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Well, he thinks he's Mr. Wonderful. That's part of the problem. My All wife right. never says that, though. Never. She never calls okay. him Mr. Wonderful. That's All right. Stephanie Link, she's also making moves in her portfolio today. She's going to join us next to talk about a new buy. You want to hear that. Plus, check out this mystery chart. It's up about 40% this year. Kramer's Charitable Trust owns the stock and today says it's buying more. We're going to reveal the name, debate it. The new letter just dropped from the CNBC Investing Club with Mr. Kramer. And a reminder, you can sign up now at cnbc.com forward slash investing club. There's the QR code. You can check that out, too, with your phone. We're back in two minutes. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're joined now by Stephanie Link. She has some new stuff going on in her portfolio. Steph, you there? I am, Scott. How are you? All right. We're going to do some rapid fire, uh, Linkster. we got three things to talk about. Number one, you're buying Coinbase. Interesting. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not catching it early, but I thought the dip, 10% dip last week was a buying opportunity. These guys are the leader in the industry, the largest and most secure crypto exchange. We know total addressable market is huge, $1.6 today, going to $5 billion by 2030. And it's hard to ignore companies that are investing in crypto. It's not just PayPal, Square, and Tesla. It's Coke. It's Starbucks, it's Visa, it's Expedia, and I think that's, that's just very, just very telling. And so I wanted to have some exposure. I thought the third quarter was terrible, but who didn't know that prices fell in the summertime and volumes also fell, and they got it higher, believe it or not, and that kind of got ignored. So I think 25 times earnings for the industry leader is a, good, is a good buy. Okay, Jim's Investing Club just dropped a new letter. They say they're buying more Morgan Stanley. I ask you about it uh, because you own Morgan Stanley. Not to mention I that do. you used to run the portfolio for the charitable trust, so you have insight into how Mr. Kramer thinks better than most people do. Well. So what do you make of this one? 
uh, I think it's down 8% from its highs, and I want to be in there buying more as well because we know the company is buying $12 billion in, uh, in shares. Um, they have a great M&A strategy with Eaton Vance and E-Trade, diversifying away. Capital markets is strong. Stock trades at 12 times earnings with a 3% yield. They're very attractive, in my opinion. Two steps forward, one step back for BA, Boeing. They're yeah. slowing 787 Dreamliner production further. That's what sources are saying uh, today. Again, you own Boeing, so, you know, what, what do you do now? It's, a, it's been a painful year, but I think we're closer to, to there being the light at the end of the tunnel. Most importantly is China certification of the 737 MAX. A third of the 737 MAXs in inventory are slated for Chinese companies. So approval will be very critical. China and Asia is 35% of global traffic, so it's important. And the average life of China's aircraft is 15 years, so there's a replacement cycle story as well. And higher fuel prices are also going to help the replacement cycle because people and companies are going to be looking for more efficient planes. That's what the 737 MAX is. The 787 delays, I wasn't expecting them to to figure out the halt situation until the end of the first quarter. So I think this is kind of in line. I'm surprised the stock is down as much as it is. So you've got a reopen story. You've got a return of, of international travel. You've got a China certification upcoming. And you have a free cash flow yield of 7%. So I, I like it. She is the Linkster, better known as Stephanie Link. Steph, thanks. Have a good thanks. weekend and a good holiday. You I hope you see you before that. That's Stephanie Link. All right, Pete has unusual activity. We'll do that next right here on The Half. All right, Pete, unusual. Tell us what you have on this Friday. All right, we're going to start off with UPS. These guys truly are delivering, Scott. When you look at what they've done with their earnings and their revenue growth and what they've done there, then the free cash flow, which is absolutely extraordinary just through the first three quarters, it's unbelievable. Stock was trading between 207 and 209, and we had a buyer of next week's expiring 215 strike calls. Those are going for 39 cents up to about 93 cents. They bought a little over 10,000 of those calls, Scott. I loved seeing this. Each time that I've seen this in the past, I've jumped on it. I jumped on it once again, and I like what UPS has been doing, and they've been delivering. They've been absolutely extraordinary. Next, I've got financials for you. Now, we heard a little bit about Morgan Stanley and Jim Cramer and the Investment Club and all the rest of that. How about the XLF itself? Trading right around 39, and we had a buyer of 10,000 of the December 10th. 40 strike calls there as well. So a lot of activity in the financials. Usually I like those individual names, but it's interesting to see. This is day two of seeing the XLF paper, trying to see if those financials are going to maybe have a little bit of an explosive move to the upside. Stock was 39. Stock just has to get up and through 40 in a very short time frame. I think it can happen. All right. A number of stocks in the reopening and stay-at-home trades we want to hit, and we're going to do that next. All right, a couple other movers we want to hit today as we talk about where the markets are. You have the lockdown over in uh, in Austria, but we're talking about stay at home versus reopen. And Wolf Research today, guys, upgrades Delta and Southwest to outperform from uh, sector perform. Pete, you own Delta calls, right? No position in Southwest, but you do have a little bit at stake in Delta. I do, and, I, and we just I, that's because of the unusual option activity that we'd seen in there, Scott. I know there is some pricing power as well. Anybody who's traveled recently, I know business travel remains something that has not really come back, but we are seeing travel coming back in a big way. And I think because of that, I think some of these names actually have a little bit of room to the upside. We'll see. They bought the February 42 calls. We'll see if they're right. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's interesting to see 
each and every time that I go for another travel date to go somewhere, I'm looking at prices that are much higher than I ever would have expected six months ago, nine months ago. So I think that that's a benefit definitely for Delta, United, American, and most of the airlines. Yeah, Kevin, you're still short the Jets ETF. Why? I think what the airlines are trying to do is uh, try and raise prices on the low margin business of tourist travel. And it's going to be very difficult to do. The balance sheets of all the airlines are upside down as a result of the pandemic. I think if you look at Delta or United, you've got massive increases in debt. They are the weakest balance sheets, in my view, in the S&P 500. I think at some point the market's going to recognize that business travel has been impeded uh, maybe in perpetuity. I don't know. I mean, it's really, really hard to get people to travel for business because they know they don't have to. And it's a miserable experience if you have to. And so at the end of the day, I think the, their business models are broken. I haven't been harmed. I haven't made any money yet. But if you look at Jets, which is the ETF I'm using to shorten, it also includes Boeing in it, and which is obviously having new challenges. And that stock hasn't done anything either. So I'm going to stay short. I think probably by the end of the year, when people start really focusing on the fact that business travel never came back, right, right, maybe right. I get rewarded. I think it's a really crummy business, and I think the airlines are in terrible shape. Okay, well, we're, we're flying again. We're going to concerts again. We're going to sporting events like the UFC again. It's been a big week for the Endeavor Group, and now today they finalize uh, their deal to sell a majority stake of the scripted content business. The shares are up nearly 8% this week. They had good earnings. They got an upgrade as well. I bring it up, Rob, because you're short the stay-at-home trade. And you know as well as anybody, I mean, people are getting out and they're going to those kind of live events that lead to stocks like that doing well. Yeah, so uh, listen, we think stock picking matters. We happen to have one of the best guys in the world on our team. His name's Glenn Mintz. He runs our long short portfolio. He recognized the mania around the prices of the stay-at-home economy names, the COVID beneficiaries. He's been short a lot of them throughout the year. I'm not going to mention and continues to be short some of them, but I'll give you a name that we covered that's an example of that, Peloton. We made an enormous amount of money being short Peloton and covered, we think, at the right time. And so I think the, the blooms off the rose in some of those. So Zoom, Kevin O'Leary, reports earnings on Monday. Um, do you have a position in Zoom? I do. I do. I consider Zoom uh, an enterprise product. Uh, we standardized on it quite a while ago. They have reduced latency dramatically there, uh, so which has been terrific. And so it's probably the standard by which many companies are using it. But I want you to consider it, Scotty, as a telco. I think Zoom is a disruptive telco. I think the numbers are going to be very strong next week. I'm going in earnings, owning this name in a full weighting. And it's not a stay-at-home stock. It's a work-from-anywhere stock. And it is basically a telco. That's what I think. Sure. But, I mean, maybe their growth is not going to be what it was, though. You, you probably would admit that. Does, does it half? What happens if it's not? Well, we're going to see. We don't have to wait that long. I think you're going to be surprised. I think what's happened is the new enterprise version, I'm pretty close with that company because we've been using it for quite a while now, has some major features added to it that all the customers have asked for. The product keeps getting better, so I don't think it's going to slow that much. It's not just teenagers talking to each other locked in their bedrooms anymore. This is an enterprise product. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back. We'll do final trades on the other side. All right, Mr. Wonderful, what's your final trade today? Going with Zoom, pre-earnings next week. I like the stock. I think it's a telco. I think it's a disruptor. Okay. We're going to see what they deliver. We can discuss that on the other side. Pete Najarian. 
I'm going to give you Medtronic, Scott. I see a lot of call activity today. I'm looking at a stock that has great free cash flow. They've got great, when you look at the fundamental story, it looks fantastic as well. I think it's a stock that's going to 130 in the next couple of months. Why grayscale, Seach? Uh, looks like people are ahead of me on this one, Scott. Uh, I was playing the sell-off a little bit, and we, you know, we love crypto on a use case basis. There's other ways to play it, but this is a liquid way to do it, and I like ETHE. Yeah, I mean, it's, it has been an interesting time for crypto. Whether it's a, a statement on overall risk sentiment, who knows? But we will watch and see what happens next week. It's good to see everybody. All of you, thanks so much for watching too. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the other side. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.